Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Normally when I do a sermon, I actually write an introduction to sort of capture your interest, and hopefully that happens sometimes. Uh, This time I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm actually going to read Daniel chapter 3. I've read it a number of times this week. And I've just loved reading it. I thought, well, actually, I want to share that with you guys. I'm going to read it together. So the whole of the chapter, bear with me, but that'll be our introduction, okay? So uh, Daniel chapter 3, and uh, let's make a start with that. First, let me say this. It's gone a bit longer this morning. Hopefully, we can keep going until 5 o'clock and you all go to the prayer meeting. <laughs> You're doing well. You're bearing with us really well. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, and the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, I didn't know there were Scottish people there back then, And every other kind of music, you had to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that certain time, Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought... So they were brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, 
and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven more times more than it was usually and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree... Any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Father, what a glorious passage of scripture. Lord, we ask now, let your spirit come and open up to our hearts here the work that you're doing to reveal yourself to us. We ask, Holy Spirit, please, please help me, please help us. As we sit, as we listen, as we think, help us to grow. Help us to grow to trust in the God who's with us in the furnace. Father, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, long narrative, but that's what Daniel is. And uh, as I said, I read a number of times and I just found it gripping just gripping to actually see what was happening there and to work through that. We are working through the book of Daniel. Uh, It's an exciting picture of God revealing himself in powerful ways to and through his people in the middle of a a godless, compromising culture in Babylon. Judah, the the nation of uh, God's chosen nation, is in exile from their homeland. They're now being taken back to the enemy of Babylon as a part of God's judgment for their rebellion against God. So that is where we find the nation of Judah and Daniel there as one of the um, people in exile at this particular time. And he's writing this as a reflection for us and revealing what God is doing. What What is God doing? He's showing that he's still sovereign over all the world even in this pagan empire called Babylon. He's still sovereign. 
He still controls. God is still calling his people to live in faithful obedience, trusting in him, no matter what the challenge is before them and no matter what circumstances that they are finding themselves in. They are still to trust in the Lord. And even when in a godless culture where many influences keep trying to, as it were, wear them down and to squeeze God out of the picture, God says, trust me. Trust me and my purposes, and even when you can't see what those purposes are working out, trust me. So here's where we're going to land today. God requires us to trust him no matter what we face in life, where our trust isn't in the outcome that we desire, but in the God who determines the outcome. Let me say that again. Where our trust isn't in the outcome we desire, but our trust is in the God who determines the outcome. As I said, it's a ripping story as you read through that. You can imagine why kids in kids' church want to just hear about it. Uh, it's excellent. I was just thinking as I was looking this week, can you imagine when the Jews were gathered in synagogue and somebody who's really well versed in Daniel, and particularly this story, gets up to talk about Dan, uh, the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the furnace and God with them actually bringing that to life. I mean, just a wonderful aspect. And what they would have done many times in synagogue life is actually open up this book and read it just like that. We've just finished General, uh, Daniel chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago where it looks like King Nebuchadnezzar has some sort of a revelation who the God of Judah is. But in the very next chapter, chapter 3, we find he's building an idol and asking everybody to worship that. Now you might think, well, what happened to that revelation that he had in chapter 2? Well, possibly a few years have gone by and he's faded from memory, or possibly King Nebuchadnezzar is still caught up in the pride of his glory and kingdom. We don't really know exactly what's happened there, but think, how did it change so quickly from 2 to 3? But you'll see that's what it does right through the book of Daniel. Let's step through the narrative really quickly then. First seven verses, verses one to seven, King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, I've got Neb here because I didn't want to write his full name every time I was doing it. <laughs> so if I say Neb, I mean Nebuchadnezzar, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar sets up this golden statue ten stories high, so it's not small. It's not very wide, it's about maybe six metres wide, but it's ten stories high and it's covered in gold. And he invites all the important people of the land and everyone else who can make it to come see what I have made. Here's the deal though. At the sound of all these different instruments, you all must bow down and worship this golden statue. Now, who's got veggie tails or knows about veggie tails? There's a lot of hands going up. It's the big chocolate bunny, isn't it? And whenever I think of this, I think of this concophony of noises all going off and it's a chocolate, it's not a chocolate bunny, okay? Anyway, when this happens, when all this noise goes off, it's, and you bow down, you're indicating that you're Loyalty and your worship is to King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian gods. That's what the whole deal is about. And if you don't do that, if you don't bow down at the uh, the sound of that music, there's a fiery furnace right here that you'll be thrown into. Probably the statue was made of bricks and that was the brick kiln right beside it where they made that. The choice is simple. Worship Babylon or die. Really simple, and it's very stark. It's right in front of your eyes. The band plays the music, and of course, everybody, at the final note, they bow down. Not exactly. Verses 8 to 12, not everybody bowed down. Three men, 
Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to bow down. We're told in verse 8 then, some jealous Chaldeans, probably jealous because of the positions of power that these foreigners had in the land, maliciously informed the king of these guys who refused to bow down. These guys, O king, defy your rule. They defy your command. They refuse to serve your gods. So we're beginning to see the scene being set here as we think about this. Verses 13 to 17, after hearing about this defiance, Nebuchadnezzar is in a furious rage. Furious rage. How dare they defy my rule? I am the king. I am the emperor. He calls them and graciously gives them one more chance to bow down at the sound of the music. Otherwise, you'll immediately go into the red-hot furnace that is right before your eyes right here. Really key here verse as you're reading the bible look at the end of verse 15 jerry will put it up for us go down to the bottom of verse 15 and what does it say there and who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands he's issuing a challenge who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands i am king nebuchadnezzar i hold all power here hold that thought in your mind that's the challenge Verses 16 to 18, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego give their response to Nebuchadnezzar. In short, it's this. No, we're not going to do it. We won't do this, O king. We know that there's only one God and he alone we will worship. Now, we're going to come back to this because these are the central verses of this narrative. 16 to 18, but we are going to come back to them. Here's the scene. We have the pride, we have the pomp, we have the power of this earthly human king on display. He's built his 10-storey high statue image and he's issued the challenge now because you guys won't bow down. What God can deliver you from my hands? Look at who I am and look at what I've done. And we have these three Jewish boys here standing alone amongst thousands who are bowing down to this golden statue and these boys are defying King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Not going to do it. And to do this, what they are, seeing and probably feeling the scorching heat of this furnace just there. Just there. Verses 9 to 23, somehow Nebuchadnezzar finds another level of rage. It says there that the, uh, the expression on his face changed. Love the way the Bible puts it there for us. He's saying, stoke it up. Get this furnace roaring. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you guys are going in. Tied up, taken to the furnace. It is so hot that the guards who take them up there, they are killed by the flames. Vivid descriptions here of what's taking place. Verses 24 and 30, in shock and amazement, King Nebuchadnezzar sees four people walking around in the furnace. And he says, the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. And he confers with his kid, didn't we do three? I see four calls them to come out, which they do, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And just picture it, they're all sort of going around, they're sort of picking up their hair, nothing's happened. Your hat's not burnt, your hair's not singed. Actually, you don't even smell of smoke. They can't work it out because they've just seen the three guards here or the four guards dead and you guys don't even feel like there's a hint of smoke or fire upon you. Verse 28 of that passage there, King Nebuchadnezzar rises to bless the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, making a decree that whoever speaks against this God, the God of Judah, they will be torn from limb to limb. He's a pretty ruthless guy, isn't he? But the question's been answered, hasn't it, from verse 15? Who will deliver you from my hand? Well, that's just happened. True story. 
True story. God wants us to see something here to grow in our trust in him as we understand what this is about. This is not just about Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the furnace. It's actually meant to point us towards the God, particularly the God who's in the furnace with these guys. Two things that work here as we think about this passage. The main thing is, the main thing is, God can be trusted in all times and in all situations, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. The secondary thing, not the primary thing, the secondary thing is the faith exercised by Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So let's firstly think about this faith exercised by these guys uh, in a really challenging place. And that's what they were. In in a godless culture, they're making a stand for the one true God, Yahweh. Will you worship man or will you worship God is what's on the line here. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have convictions, strong convictions, deep convictions about what they believe and this informs their faith. What they believe through their mind informs the convictions now of how they will carry out their life. They are familiar with God's word. They are familiar with God's word, which says that you are to worship no other God except God alone. They would be familiar with Exodus chapter 20, where the first two commandments are, you shall not worship any other gods, and the second one is you'll make no idols to bow down to. They're the convictions that would be informing their faith here. Now, there's only one true God, and he's the God that we will remain obedient and trusting in. But they find themselves in this particular situation here uh, where these convictions and faith are severely tested. Obey man or obey God? Will I make a stand for God here or will I not? What's my faith or trust in at this particular time? And it is right on the line for these guys. And if you think about it, they're actually not in too bad a culture in some respects. They've got jobs. They've got homes. It's relatively peaceful in Babylon. And everything around them, where they're living at this current time, is saying that your best life now is to fall in line with King Nebuchadnezzar and the rest of Babylon and all live happily ever after. That's, that's what their best life now, the culture is telling them all around about them. If you do that, you'll be all right. That's where they are. But where they are in the sense of the convictions they're now living out, the stakes can't get any higher For Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're standing before the king and they can feel the heat of the furnace. They can easily say, well, maybe I'll just choose my best life now. Maybe, maybe there's a few things just rolling through their mind at this particular time. Well, actually, we're better alive to serve the king and our people than actually being dead. Maybe we could just tap out now. Far better for us to be alive through this than dead. Or... This isn't a major sin. God knows that we're weak and you know, we're all prone to fall sometimes. He'll just forgive us. Maybe we'll just bow down this one time. Maybe that thought just quickly passed through their mind. Or we're only young. We've got plenty of time to make up for this mistake now. We can, we can do a whole lot of other good things for, for the Lord down the track and this time we'll just, we'll just bow down this one time. Maybe those thoughts were there as a trial or a bit of a temptation. No, their faith, informed by the truth of who God is, needed now courageous resolve to make a stand for the Lord. Everything's on the line for these guys. Not just some things, their very life is. Important to understand here, 
that the courage for these guys didn't come from within them like they were really special men. Not that. This courageous faith comes from knowing who God is, the one true God, the only God, the Lord of creation, the sovereign ruler of everything. It's knowing who God is is what informs their faith, gives them these convictions, and then the courage, as it were, by God standing with them at that particular time. So what we see with these guys next, really, uh, is an amazing understanding of God as they actually begin to articulate this faith and communicate it out for us. They're threatened with death by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they answer him with this in verses 16 to 18, which is the central part of our narrative. Verse 16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Feeling pretty confident, aren't they? Let's roll on. Verse 17. If this be so, if we are to go into the fiery furnace, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Our God, the true God, the living God, we know he is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. We know that our God is sovereign. We know that our God holds all power. And we know that this fire is nothing to our God, the one true God. He is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. They go on. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Our God will deliver us from you. You aren't the ultimate rule and authority here. It's not about you. We are so confident in the one true God, our God, that we will go into that furnace. Follow on as they keep talking. Verse 18. But if not, but if not, well, what does that mean? But if not, hang on, fellas, that's a bit negative, isn't it? Where's your faith now? Surely that's a lack of faith. But if not, but if not, in other words, if God doesn't deliver us from the fire, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. These guys have got it. They know their God really intimately, really well. They've got a deep and powerful understanding of who God is and they've got it well ordered in their minds. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, what are they saying? Well, this is what God will do. He may miraculously deliver us from fire, which you follow the story, and he does do that. Or God may deliver us from your hand, O king, by death, by allowing us to die in the fire. Either way, we've been delivered from your hand, O king, possibly miraculously, or through death. 
It's at this point, I think, some believers have a faulty and defective understanding of God and the faith that we are called to put in him. It's in these verses where we can pick that up. With some believers, their faith is more in the outcome of what they want and what they're believing for other than in the God who controls the outcome. I've actually heard this said a number of times. I'm believing for a miracle here. I'm believing for a miracle. I'm believing for a breakthrough. I'm believing for a breakthrough. I'm going to settle for nothing less than a miracle. That's what I'm believing for. I'm believing in the breakthrough. When you think about that, and that's the way people are thinking, it's a bit like what is key here is their level of faith. It's what they're believing for. And it's how much faith they can put into that outcome. But all they do, they'll probably try and surround themselves with a positive faith-giving people because we don't want anybody negative sort of draining faith away from me. I'm believing for this miracle. I'm believing for this outcome. Their faith then is all built up in the one thing, the outcome. This is what I'm believing for. This is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I'm believing for. And with that, and it's in that direction, you find their faith isn't centred upon the God of the outcome, but in the outcome itself. In the outcome itself. It's a bit like that somehow through my level of faith, that somehow I can bend God to my desires or my wishes or my wants. If I could just believe a bit harder, if I could just a little bit more faith, I'll get it. And often the fallback position is if they didn't receive what they asked for from God, they didn't get the miracle, they didn't get the breakthrough, my faith must have been enough to please God. I just didn't have enough faith. I just didn't get over the line. I had too many negative people around me and they were speaking negative things to me and they just drained my faith away and I just didn't get it. That was the problem. It's a really defective way to think about God and a defective way to work with your faith. What will happen like that is we've actually got this really shallow, small understanding of who God is. And the challenges of life will eventually crush us if we think and act in that particular way, that I'm just believing for the outcome and not believing in the God of the outcome. Challenges will come and they'll crush us. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had a very strong and deep faith in a sovereign God who will deliver them either by miraculous intervention or deliver them by death from King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at the chain of what they say in these verses. Our God is able to do this, King. Our God is able. Our God will deliver us from you. And even if he doesn't, it's not, they're not holding a gun to God's head to say, God, you've got to come through this time. Or else, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to any false god or idol. Our God is able, our God will, and even if he doesn't. This is echoed through scripture time and time again. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see this again where Frankie read for us today. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32 says this, And what more shall I say? 
For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Look at what they achieve here, through faith. Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. It's all pretty positive, isn't it? They get, they get, they get, they overcome, they overcome, they overcome. Very positive deliverances here through faith. And we praise God for every single one of those. Let's follow on though in verse 35 now to 38. And it takes a bit of a change. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. So some of them were killed. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn sawn in two. That's a pretty amazing deliverance, isn't it? They believed possibly the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. If you read the first part of Romans, uh, Hebrews 11, it just seems to flip, doesn't it? Deliverance, 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 deliverance. Sword, tortured, killed. It, these are the same people and the same faith in the same God. We don't know how God does deliverance. Sometimes divinely, miraculously intervenes. Other times he allows things to take their course and they are delivered by death or delivered through not receiving that promise here and now. All of these people here in Hebrews 11 are listed in the, as it were, the A-list of the hall of faith. Some received, some didn't. And God never failed them in any way. And even as Nathan's here today, we have multitudes of people that we support around the world in that same predicament. Wanting Release and deliverance, but many believers today will be killed. Even as we speak today, people will be killed for simply naming them. And they have been delivered from this world. That's how God does it sometimes. So here's the thing. It's okay to pray for healing. It's okay to pray for miracles. It's okay to pray for breakthroughs. It's okay to pray for deliverance. I will join with you wholeheartedly in this. Let's do this together. Let's pray and fast for certain situations. But don't set your heart on the outcome. Don't set your faith on saying, this is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm praying for. Don't pin all your hopes in that. Why? Because we don't know what God will do here. We can't see his purposes. Set your heart or set your faith in the God who controls the outcome. Subtle but a big difference. And rest in his good and loving sovereignty that he will do what is best for us in that situation for our lives. And when you do that, here's what you'll experience. You'll experience God in the middle of the furnace. You'll experience God's peace and confidence right in the middle of that challenging time. And it won't be necessarily by taking us out of the furnace, 
but by being with us through the furnace. Think about these guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. An amazing result of peace, as we read there. Oh, King, we don't need to answer you. You can nearly see the confidence oozing out of them, the faith oozing out of that particular time. And they strongly resolved to not disobey God and they faced that furnace. And God did. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego. But where did they go? They actually went into the furnace. Into the furnace. But they weren't alone. God was in the furnace with them. We can know that same peace. We can know that same trust today through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Why? Because Jesus ultimately went through the furnace of hell to pay the price of our sins, to bring us back into a right relationship with God and to give us that peace, to give us that confidence, to give us that faith, no matter what we do, he's there with us. He shed his blood on the cross so that we could know this God who will deliver us. And he will do that. That's the God that we can trust. That's the God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all so that we would too would know him and he would graciously give us all things in due time. I read this story earlier in the week and it was just a great way, I think, just to finish off today's talk. A lady by the name of Ruth Sinard uh, in America, she was 33 years of age and she died just a few weeks before her fourth wedding anniversary from cancer. Only 33 years of age. The whole church had prayed for her healing and her deliverance for a long, long time. Just before she died, she wrote this last letter and she included this poem in the last letter that she wrote. We're going to read this out now. My father's way, that's God, my father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim, But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. There's no other being on this earth that you can have this level of trust other than God. To carry us through the darkest of storms, the most terriblest of furnaces that we could ever come across. He's the God who's with us in the furnace. Ruth faced the furnace, 33 years of age, died of cancer just before her fourth wedding anniversary. And she said, He made no mistake. It's the same God we can trust in today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come and open up your word today. Father, thank you for the blessing of Daniel chapter 3. God, thank you today that you are the one who knows the end from the beginning. You're the Lord who's with us in the furnace. 
Help us, we pray today, Lord, as we see what you do in the lives of people and what you do in our own lives, Lord, to trust you no matter what. When the way is dark and the road is hard and there are a multitude of temptations telling us just give up, just bow down. Help us again to look to you, Lord, the one true God, that you will carry us and we can trust you in that you will never leave us and never forsake us. And how do we know that, Lord? We look to see what you've done, that you've given us your one and only Son to make that way possible for us to have that hope. Let that grace work in our hearts today, I pray. That Lord, when our faith is on the line, maybe not as severe as what it is for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, maybe it's just something in the workplace, Lord, or something at school or something in a social club, or may we stand strong, trusting in a good and faithful God with complete confidence. And Lord, we pray that through that you'd be honoured and you'd be glorified through those convictions. Heavenly Father, today we ask, we pray that now, in your precious and glorious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well. 